Good morning, everyone. Great to be with you. I live in the poorest country in the world, the hungriest country in the world, with the highest rate of malnutrition, the most miserable country in the world. And uh, that's it. Look up there, Burundi. If you didn't know what it was, most people haven't got a clue, never heard of it. It's in a hell of a mess. Uh, I've had people try to kill me. People I care about have been killed. People are dying right now. And so I couldn't live in any more far removed than, than from this over here. But as I share with you this morning, I just want to stir you up and encourage you and uh, maybe help you to see even more how massive God is and how he is worthy of our whole lives. He wants all of you. He wants you to live for him. He wants you to glorify him. And, uh, and I'm not saying come out and join me because it is a hell of a mess and it's not everyone's cup of tea. But what you need to do is pray. the. Pray- if you want to maximize your lives, and that's what everyone would want to do, surely, is that you've got to pray the prayer that took me out to Burundi. You've got to pray it for yourself. And this is the prayer I pray. And all of you, well, apart from your leaders, can be ahead of the game because I prayed this prayer when I was 25 years old. And my prayer was this, God, I will do anything. I will go anywhere. And that's what he wants from you. You know, if you buy some fancy gadget, you read the instructions because you want it to work well, don't you? So, and, and we're pretty complex. We're fancier than any fancy gadget. And so it's, it makes sense to consult the maker in terms of how, how best to use this thing, i.e. our lives. So that's my prayer. Lord, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. And I was in a pucker job, so I went to a, a good school. Then I'm a sportsman, so I went to Loughborough, which is the, the top sports university. Then I was in a good job, so I was on that conveyor belt, if you like, to success and wealth and everything. But that was my prayer. Lord, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. And this bloke tracked me down in London. I'd never met this bloke before in my life. Didn't know who on earth he was, literally. And he said this, I've been praying. My name's Rob. I've been praying, and I believe God sent me to you, and he wants you to go to Burundi and be involved in youth and mission and outreach, that sort of stuff. Now, as he was talking, my heart was thumping in my chest, saying, God, is this what you've kept me for? Because I had been praying, I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere. And so I said to him, all right, thanks, weirdo. I'll think about it. I'll be spiritual. I'll pray about it. And I went back to my job. I'm in front of the computer. So imagine this. I'm in front of the computer. I said, God, right now, if you want me to go to Burundi, that hellhole country in the central Africa that no one knows about, I might get killed. And the people have tried to kill me since. So, so I want you to give me a radical sign. It means leaving family, friends, success, career, money, dosh, everything. So give me a radical sign right now in front of the computer if you want me to go to Burundi. And the phone rang. And I picked up the phone on the voice on the other end, out of the blue, said, do you know anyone who wants to work in Burundi? Now, what do you do with that? Now, there are three choices you've got. Either I'm lying to you, and I could be lying, couldn't I? It's like the disciples, you know, the, the Romans, they lost Jesus. Jesus had risen, and they had to work out something, you know, what, where did the body go? And they said, well, the disciples stole it. Well, the disciples, pretty much most of them died for their faith. You wouldn't die for a lie, would you? And similarly, I'm not going to die for a lie out in Burundi. I've been there 18 years now, and, and uh, I've had some very heavy stuff going on in my life. You're not going to die for a lie, so hopefully we'll discount that one. Secondly, if, you, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you don't believe that God even exists and there's no room for the supernatural, then I guess you'd have to say that was a coincidence, and it could be a coincidence, couldn't it? Couldn't, couldn't it? But it takes faith to believe in coincidence as well. I think most of us in the stream this morning, you would say that wasn't a coincidence, that was a God incident. The God's looking down, and that's the verse I want to, to sort of use as a springboard for the seminar today. It's, it's in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9, and it says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, looking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. 
And that's such an encouraging verse and a challenging verse. It's encouraging because God is like, I want my children. I want to strengthen them. I want to use them. And I'm like looking out and I'm saying, who's up for it? And it doesn't have to be just Mark over there and Jane here and Sarah and Peter. It could be all of us this morning in this shed. You could say, I am in. I'm going to stop being partially committed or Sunday committed or Saturday night youth group committed. or anything. I'm going to be fully committed. And God says he will strengthen you to change the world. And all I can say to God's glory is that I've had the chance to see hundreds of thousands of people come to Jesus. I've had friends killed. People have, you know, a guy came to my house with a grenade to blow me up. He wrote me a letter saying he's going to cut out my eyes. I've had lots of heavy experiences, but it's worth it. Because Jesus said, I've come to have life and life to the full. And this seminar stream on true stories, it's all about, you know, us sharing our stories to try to inspire you, to encourage you to think, you know, it's not worth giving Jesus a bit of my life. It's not being worth being sort of slightly in because as, as we just talked about repentance, you know, which is turning around, you know, Jesus saying, go this way. And all my mates saying, no, 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 go this way. This is going to be more fun. And, and, and Jesus saying, no, this is the way to life. And my mates saying, no, this is the way. And you end up being completely in a very vulnerable position. That's not a great place to do life, is it? He says, be fully in. And the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And so on that, what was that? That was about the 7th of August, 1999, before most of you were born. God was doing that. And he was doing that. And he's like, oh yeah, Simon Gilbert, he's up for it. He wants wants to make his life count. And I'm going to use him to change the world. Now, I don't want you to come out to Burundi, but you need to pray that for yourself. And obviously, if it's 13, 14, 12, whatever, you cannot literally go anywhere right now because you're at school and stuff like that. But the point is, it's a heart of surrender saying, I'm in, Lord. I want to make my life count. I don't want to settle for the safety of existing when God is offering me the adventure of living. And so it took me out to that place. And next one, you'll see some of the pictures of what it's been like. It's been, hopefully they're going to come. Can you move on? In the last two years, so I live in Bujumbura, I speak a language called Kirundi, which goes like this. Nice one. So it's the size of Wales, so it's not a big place. And, uh, you know, sort of five hours top to bottom. Next one. Now that's a powerful picture, isn't it? Because I trust no one in this uh, shed thinks that a white life is worth more than a black life. I presume none of us do, but... I mean, that's not my literal hand, but I feel like it's my hand. And I'm born in a privileged country, had a privileged education, and that, and that, that is probably a little uh, a dead hand. And there we are in the hungriest country in the world, and, and we don't believe, we don't believe that a white life is worth more than a black life, but actually in practice they are. So you've got, you got millions of African farmers that produce corn and their crops and stuff like that, but they don't have a massive, massive load of government subsidies protecting farmers over here. And I'm not dissing farmers over here because they're the most, amongst the most hard, hardest working people in this country. But that just means that black farmers, African farmers, are, by their millions are priced up, are, are sort of priced out, and they just end up dying. And it's the rich countries that write the rules. And I did a discipleship series called More Than Conquerors. And there's 13 films of it that some of, you, some of you have done, 13 chapters in the book. And one of the films is called Screaming Injustice. And I start with a line, I think God wants us to get angry. You know, anger can be, or the manifestation of you getting angry. You know, if you smack your, your, your buddy in the face when you're angry, that's not the best expression of that anger. That's not the best way to solve the prob- problem. But the Bible doesn't say don't be angry. It says be angry and don't sin, or in your anger, don't sin. And we know, when did Jesus get angry? 
when he saw the misuse of his father's house. He got angry in the temple. And, and there are loads of things worth getting angry about in a righteous way. You know, three miles away in, in, in Norwich right now, girls are being had sex to 20 times a day. And they thought they were coming over. Girls, I say young women. They, 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 they'd come in. They thought they'd come in as au pairs. And, and then they, they handed over their passport. And actually, they're being sexually trafficked. And I've got a wife, a daughter, a sister, a mum. And by God's grace, it's not them. It's not anyone here in this room right now. But that is sick and wrong, isn't it? And that's happening in every city in the country right now. And that is something worth getting angry about. And thankfully, quite a few people are getting angry about that. But you, age 13, 12, 14, whatever you are, you can get angry about stuff in a, in a good way. The stuff worth getting angry about. I get angry about the fact that followers of Jesus, just because they love Jesus, in about 40 countries in the world, get put in prison, lose their jobs, get, uh, get killed. I mean, it happens. In fact, in one of these things a few years ago, I did, I did a campaign. I said, look, I want to show you. We get angry and we change the world. And we took this campaign and it was about children, you know, your age, being put in prison in the Philippines with, with adults. And... Uh, and what they, they get buggered and all sorts, and horrible stuff happens in there. And, and, and the Philippines is a, is a signatory to the UN rights of the child, and that should not happen. I said, right, we're going to do this. We're going we're to change the, change the law by campaigning right now. Fill it out. And we did it. So a thousand of us right now, we did it. And by the next year, I was able to come back and say, we changed that law. Because we took one minute just to, just to write our, our names down. And, and we got angry about something that was wrong, and so we changed it. And I want everyone to believe here that you can change the world. But it means responding to that. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Next one. So this is what's been going on the last couple of years where I am. So I, I went out. It was the most dangerous country in the world when I went out in 1998. I know that because my, my mummy sent me through a newspaper cutting, charting the countries. I don't know if she's trying to encourage me or what. But then we had 10 years of peace from 2005 to 2015. And then this is what's happened. So this is like just a few hundred yards down my street and, and roadblocks set up. And this guy will be dead now because... Because he's in this photo. And anyone that's caught, that's photographed um, has been tortured and killed. And next one. Next one. And again, these guys will be dead. They tried to overthrow the regime. It didn't work. Next one. And that's just, I think, it's, hopefully it's in the bookshop. You can get that if you like. Choose life. It's about making choices, you know. You can choose to play it safe or you can choose to give it all to Jesus. You can choose partial, nominal commitment. You can choose this morning to be fully committed. And that's just a daily devotion on that if you want to grab that. Next one. Keep going, that's our charity set up out there and again. Right, so that's my family. So I went up, if you like, as a single nutter, 25 years old, ready to die. Drove along a road once, 40 people were killed that day, and I just got through four ambushes. And uh, you know what? If you think you're going to die next week, there are lots of good lessons you learn in the extreme. If, you, if I, as a lot of my life, I have lived thinking I was going to die next week. Well, if you think you're going to die next week, you're not going to spend 10 hours on PlayStation today. You know, there's just too much to live for. You want to maximize your life. And anyway, I didn't die. And now I'm 44, 44 years old. I always thought I'd die before the age of 30. And I got to 30. I got to 40. I'm 44. I've cried more in the last two years than I have in the previous 42 years as my friends are suffering so much in this hungry, hungriest country in the world. And there's, you know, I paid for mates that have been tortured to flee the country and to get off the death list and that sort of stuff. They go into the government offices and pay, literally, to, to get struck off a death list. It's institutional organized corruption. But I didn't die, and now I've got a wife and three lovely kids. And look at my daughter there, because I love, well, the story is that she is named after this next girl, next picture. So I held that girl in, that was 1997, I held that girl in my arms, and I was told her story. And her story was that she started her life down a toilet. So no one ever knew her mum, because her mum gave birth and literally threw this fetus down a toilet. 
And the reason this fetus, who was a she, did not die, it was her neck got caught in the U-bend. And someone was about to go to the loo, and they looked down, they saw something, they saw something move, and they reached down into the turd, and they fished out this fetus, who was a girl, and they cleaned her off, and they got poo on themselves in the process, and they fed her through a straw like a little bird. And now next one, that's her. Beautiful woman. Beautiful woman. And, my, and next one? What I love is that in God's economy of weaving the, the sort of the pattern of our lives together, 18 years after that picture, she ends up being my, uh, my uh, babysitter, looking after my daughter. And I said to my wife, before we had kids, I said, if God ever blesses us with a daughter, I want to name her after that girl. So those girls share the same name, little white one named after big black one. And it's so beautiful because my friend who saved her, who rescued her, who adopted her, gave her the best girl's name. And of course I'm biased. But their names are Grace. Love that. Grace or Hannah or Karis in the house. It's a beautiful name because I don't know if you know what grace means. Grace means God's undeserved love for each one of us. That he reaches down to the pit of our lives. And he picks us up and he cleans us off. And he says, you're beautiful. You're made in my image. I love you. Now come on, live. That's grace. And this is really important for all of us, whether we already say we follow Jesus or whether we're just exploring this stuff or we came along with mates. It's so important. This is what following Jesus is all about. It's not about religion. You know, religion is about trying to get out of that pit. And we're all down that pit, metaphorically speaking, ourselves. And you cannot get out yourself. But religion is about trying to get out and build your way up to a perfect God. But, but you cannot. The only way we can get saved, we can get rescued, we can get cleaned off is if help comes from outside. And that's Jesus, who is God with flesh on. And he comes down, and he reaches down, and he picks us up. And on the cross, when he died, he took up on him so that we could be beautiful and forgiven and restored and validated. And this morning, he says, you are beautiful, my daughter. You're precious, my son. I love you. How much does love us? He loves us that much. And so we're not about religion. We're about a relationship with the risen Jesus who calls all of us to the adventure of following him. My favorite verse is John 10, 10. Jesus said, I've come to have life and life to the full or life in abundance. And guys, I'm not going to give you a soft sell this morning. The, the abundance or the fullness of the last two years for me has been weeping. It hasn't been easy. But he didn't say, I've come to have life and a long life. He didn't, he didn't say, I've come to have life and an easy life. He said, I've come to have life and a full life. And he had a fullness of life in his 33-odd years. And some people, and it could be half us in this place right now, our highest aspiration is just to arrive safely at death. And we just play it safe all the way. And if, you're, if you want to play it safe, then you're going to settle for a safe, tame, respectable, domesticated Jesus. And he's useless. And that is not what Jesus is like. He said, I've, I've come to have life and life to the full. But the start of that verse talks about the enemy we have, Satan. And, and he, he's described as the thief. So Jesus says, the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and life to the full. And surely, if I put it in such simple terms, what do we want? Do you want to be victims, the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy? Or do we want life and life to the full? And presuming you want life and life to the full, well, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I wonder if you're up for that this morning. Next one. 
So if you want a picture of what malnutrition looks like, that's that lovely little blonde-haired girl. She's my Canadian buddy's daughter. And she's called Alma, and she's four years old. And the girl in the middle is four years old. And she's probably dead now. And that makes me angry. And I know that God makes God angry, and that is sick and wrong, isn't it? And if she's alive, then she certainly won't, uh, unless God does a miracle, she won't grow. She won't develop well because her brain is already stunted from uh, extreme damage at that young age. That's sick and wrong. Next one. This lady, she was given the choice of how to die. She could choose to be macheted to death or clubbed to death. Or if she had five pounds, she could buy her bullet. And she didn't have five pounds, so she chose to be clubbed to death. And she was cracked on the back of the head, fell in the mass grave. Nine of the family were already dead in that grave, and she was buried. And a few hours later, someone walked over that mass grave, and they heard a whimper, and they fished her out. The, still, the killers are still up there, high on their drugs and witchcrafty stuff, and they were freaked out. They thought, yeah, they thought she was a ghost. They let her walk away, this bloodied mess. And now look at her. She's a beautiful lady. She's actually married a pastor. She's had two of her own kids, but she's adopted four kids from the other tribe. Now, most of us, we're not from an extremely tribalistic culture. We can sort of get it, but not really get it. Adopting the ones that killed mine. I mean, that's the power of God, and that's Jesus at work in her life. Beautiful. Next one. That's a witch doctor, and uh, we might have uh, sort of different stereotypes of pictures of what we think witch doctors are like. It's not glamorous, but it's, uh, it's, and some of it is fake and, f- and fraudulent, if you like. Some of it is very real. And, uh, you know, Satan is very powerful. And I don't want to freak anyone out. I don't want anyone to get too obsessed about this. But in terms of sharing a few stories with you, uh, this Sunday in Burundi, we are sending out 630 young people into the bush in teams around the country, and they will go out for 14 days to do the math, 630 times 14 times 8 hours a day. That is a lot of a very intentional, strategic community outreach. And because this is the 12th year of our doing it, I'm just guessing, presuming, they will do what we did for the last 11 years, which is, what do you read in the Acts of the Apostles? You know, so when Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all the Jesus, Jesus, what he did, what he taught his disciples, and he said, you go and do what I told you to do. And Acts of the Apostles, what do you read that he did? Well, the the, the Apostles, they... They got beaten up, so some of our guys get beaten up. They got put in prison. Some of our guys will get put in prison, but even in prison, they led their cellmates to Christ. Uh, they cast out demons. They healed the sick. People were raised from the dead. Does that stuff still happen? I mean, it's very far removed maybe from a lot of our lives and our experiences over here, but it is true. It's the same Jesus. The Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and Satan, he hasn't been around forever, but he's been around a long time. So next one. This is my, the guy I'm handing over the work to out there. He's a phenomenal man. And, and together we've started out this, this outreach. Next one. So there they are just, you know, they're just going up country, going, sitting down next to people talking. Next one. So there you've got a witch doctor. And, you know, a witch doctor, if you mess with a witch doctor, everyone's scared stiff by the witch doctor. And if you mess with him, he'll curse you. And if you've got a child, your two-year-old might die or something like that. People are scared of, of, of this guy. He rules the culture by fear. Well, our team showed up and... Uh, this guy started doing his juju stuff, excited that he was going to make money out of them. And then one of the team just spoke the name of Jesus. You know, some of us use the name of Jesus so sort of glibly or flippantly. Well, the G- name of Jesus is very powerful. And as he spoke the name of Jesus, the witch doctor <laughs> fell down under the power of God. And he came to a few moments later. He said, look, could you come back in a couple of days? So they returned two days later. Look at him in that picture. He'd assembled the whole village. And there he is. 
The, the man who has all the spiritual power, apparently, but burning his charms publicly, submitting to the highest power, and giving his life to Jesus, and at the preaching of the gospel, 50 people, 50 people in that village gave their lives to Christ. In one incident, this lady went, F off, I'm not interested in your Jesus. So our team came to her village, she went, no, go away. And then they're like, all right, easy tiger. And uh, as they were retreating, she said, all right, all right, come back, come back. I will let you speak to my village, but first of all, show us the power. So what she was saying is, don't just talk a good game, show us the power. And so they gathered around this, uh, she, she said, all right, heal this uh, demon-possessed girl. That was the challenge, the gauntlet she laid down. Heal this demon-possessed girl. So the, they, they gather around, the team gather around this girl. The whole village came to watch, good spectator sport. And uh, they prayed over her in Jesus' name. Now, some, we don't be obsessed about this, but, you know, some people don't even, a lot of this country don't even believe that demons exist. Well, you know, Jesus cast out demons, for example, in Mark chapter 5. So they gathered around this girl that the whole community knew was demon-possessed, and they prayed over her in Jesus' name, and <laughs> all these different demons were cast out. And on the spot, that antagonistic lady who was angry, saying, F off, a few minutes earlier, her and 20 other people fall to their knees and give their lives to Christ because they see the higher power. Well, you would, wouldn't you? You would. And then... Uh, a last, a last story on that outreach um, from last summer. So last summer, this, uh, we did it, I know what, 21, it was, it was, because it was so dangerous, we couldn't send them out into the field, so we had to do them in hospitals. Well, plenty of sick people in hospital, aren't they? And uh, so we had to be in the city in a hospital. We sent out these 700 people last summer, and in one instant, this, this boy was pronounced dead. The, uh, the doctor pulled out the tubes, covered his bed with a sheet, his body, and went out. And the mother, and if you've ever been in a third world country, when you hear the sort of wailing and the weeping of mourning, the mother starts wailing. And that piercing wail and shriek attracted one of our evangelists who rushed in, and he felt led by God to speak life back into that body. And as he spoke life, the boy just came back from the dead. And on the spot, 41 people gave their lives to Christ in the hospital. Again, you would, wouldn't you? Now listen. Those are, those are just some of the, I've got loads of, loads of crazy stories like that. But, I, I, you know, you're thinking, you know, I'm not actually, I believe that stuff. But that's so far removed from my experience. But what I want to say to you, it is the same Jesus. And I was preaching with that guy I just told you I'm handing on the ministry to in America uh, a while back. And we were sharing these stories. And one of the ladies piped up, question and answer. She said, well, how, how come there's all these miracles that happen all the time in Africa? And he sort of gave a corrective answer. He said, listen, we don't see miracles the whole time in Africa. When we see miracles is when we take Jesus out of the church building. And we go to people. And then it's on enemy territory. And, and with our, you know, just being bold and being willing to get beaten up, that is where God chooses, he seems to choose, to show his powers, a sign to the unbeliever. And there's this massive kingdom clash between darkness and light. And we see the power of God. Now, that's a challenge, isn't it, for us? Because, I mean, you know, we're all scared and we want to play it safe. Well, I just want to encourage you that don't, don't be afraid of the name of Jesus. And taking that message out with you. Now that's happening from this Sunday. Sunday the 6th to Sunday the, the um, 20th for two weeks. So if any of you want to pray for us. Any of you want to hear. I've just put some sheets out at the end. Come up and sign up your email. Just your email. And uh, I'd love to keep in touch with you. And also I'd love to keep in touch with you. Because I've done this before. And 10 years later some of you have ended up working with me out there. So maybe. But that's not my agenda. But maybe as the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. The strength of those whose hearts are fully committed to him. This morning might be a chance to say, I'm in.
and I want that full commitment. And whether it's Burundi or whether it's Yemen or some other nutjob place like that or Iraq, Syria, there are lots of places in desperate need of people who are not partially committed but fully committed. Next one. Yeah, so this is another story. You know, this guy, he, he, he hospitalized one of our team that was reaching out to Jesus. So he came out to the team leader, smacked him in the face. Literally, he was taken off to hospital. But the, the team carried on praying for him. Demons were cast out, out from him. He rushed home. He had not spoken to his dad for 20 years. They were reconciled. And his dad was divorced from his mom. And they heard, they came out together. They, the whole family was reconciled. Just beautiful what the power of Jesus can do. Next one. Now, this is... This little child is a pygmy, um, and one of the things we've done out there is working with pygmies. Next one. These guys had life expectancy before we started reaching out to them of 27. Can you imagine it? That makes all of us here statistically likely to be orphaned out there. 27. Why did they die? Because they're starving. Because they haven't got water, clean water. And that guy, he looks like he's about 60. He's probably 25. Chief of the village. They just age very fast. Next one. And they live in that kind of stuff. So they've got one set of rags, literally, and when it rains at night, they strip off and put that under a pot. They're all naked in there, and at least they can put on dry rags in the morning. It's so far removed from here, isn't it? And so we went there, now, like, for 300 quid, we build them a mud hut, literally a mud hut, which is a step up from that, which means they sleep in different rooms, get less disease and less stuff, bad stuff happening during the night, and, uh, and we've seen them completely come out of poverty. Next one. And one of the things we've done is we've given them cows. You see... Burundians love cows, but they're useless cows. They produce one liter a day of milk, which is a waste of time. And a kid has to follow that cow 24-7. It trashes the environment, and the manure, you know, all the manure goes, gets wasted all over the place. And so what we did is we, with, with a pygmy, if we were Burundians, we wouldn't even let a pygmy sit with us. They'd be at the back or outside listening because they're the modern-day lepers. When they, when they ate off their cutlery, you'd have to wash it twice. You know, literally, they're the modern-day unclean. And so... What we did was we went to a loser pygmy. We don't think he's a loser because he's made in God's image. Everyone has equal value before God. And we said, listen, here's a cow. We've brought it from Tanzania. It doesn't produce one liter. It's a crossbred Frisian cow. It produces 15 liters a day. And so what you're going to do is you're going to keep it here, feed it this, collect the manure there, which will be useful. Don't let it wander around. It's not going to trash the environment. Just keep it here. Now, at the end of that month, a pygmy has never seen a four-pound note. That's the biggest note we've got. He's never seen a four-pound note. At the end of that month, he's got 15 four-pound notes in profit. And so you've got the neighbor who's like, flipping out, lose a pygmy. How do you do that? Hey, lob us a cow. We can't give you a cow. But what we can do now is that you can plant cow grass because he's got a disposable income, and he can spend it on you, and he can lift you both out of poverty. Meantime, his kid can go to school. Meantime, they've got manure in one place they can use. Meantime, it's not causing intercommunal strife and trashing the environment. So we've just seen that whole community be lifted out of extreme poverty. We went to them and said, not like other people like the UN or NGOs saying, you losers, this is what you need. We said, what do you need? And they said, well, we're starving, so can you give us some food? And uh, we're dying because we haven't got clean water. Can you put in some clean, a water purifying unit? And, and we haven't got any land, so can you do some advocacy to get some land? And can you teach us some farming methodologies? And can you build a school so that our kids can go to school? Because every pygmy in Burundi goes to school when he's six years old, and he quits when he's six years old and two weeks. Why? Because he's fainting in the classroom because he's half dead. And so for 3,000 little pygmy kids, every day we provide them with a mug of porridge, and that's keeping them in the game. And so at the end of six months of just living alongside them, uh, the head the community, that guy that you saw earlier that said, I said looks like a 60-year-old, he's the head of the community, and he came along, and he was angry, and he said he had a stack of documents from Oxfam, Save the Children, UNDP. He said, these people, they came, and they took photos of us, and they said they were going to do stuff. They did nothing. And I just watched you for six months, and uh, 
You are the real deal. And now, yes, you can tell me about Jesus. I want your Jesus as well. Breakthrough into the community. Transformation. When before we got stuck there, five kids every month were dying before the age of five. And since we've been involved, about two kids in the last three years have died. Just completely, you know, pure evidence of changing a culture in Jesus' name. Next one. Now, this lady, she looks like a bit of a grumpy cow, but I assure you she's not. She's turbocharged. You know, and what I want to say to you again this morning is that you cannot deny a story. And every single person in here, if you've started following Jesus, you've got a story. And that story can look different ways. That story can, be, can look like uh, I had zero self-worth and, uh, and then I met with Jesus and he says, I have value. And I was looking for all that self-worth in the wrong places with, you know, giving my body to whoever because I thought that that was how I'd be loved. And actually now I don't need to do that because I know I'm accepted and beautiful in his sight. Or, you know, just put in your story. You've all, if you've started following Jesus, you've all got a story. And you can share that story with your mates. We don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. But no one's going to deny my story. So this, this lady's called Agnes. And Agnes, now this could have been a stroke or it could have been a curse, but she... One day, just curled up into a ball, and she went deaf, dumb, blind. And for seven years, her parents wheeled her out onto the patio to catch the sunlight. And at the end of the day, wheeled her back in. And I'm sure loads of people prayed for her over those years, but on one occasion, a bunch of young people came, and they prayed over her in the name of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, her whole body uncoiled, and she got her sight back, and she got her hearing back, and the only thing that was still lacking was her speech, but surely God wasn't going to stop there. And so she joined the church choir by faith. And three weeks later, the Lord released her tongue to sing his praises, and she will not shut up. Turbotaged. She will not shut up. You know, that's her story. And you can't deny a story. And everyone's like, well, she was the vegetable. We knew her. We used to walk past her, feel sorry for her. And now She's actually an ordained Anglican evangelist woman and just on fire for Jesus. It's been on national radio. It's just awesome. Next one. Now, this is actually not in South Africa. Sorry, not in Burundi. That's in South Africa. And I, I, you know, never discount the power of a random meeting if God is in it. Because I met that meathead the other side of me. I met him on the back of a donkey in the Egyptian desert. And we're trotting along. And there was just something familiar about his eyes. And he was South African. And I said, did you do all your schooling in South Africa? And he said, yes. Apart from three years of the prep school in Buckinghamshire. And he was my tennis partner when we were 12 years old. And, uh, you know, I'd last seen him when he was seven stone. Now he's 19 stone. And, and uh, that's why I hadn't recognized him. But that meeting changed his life because he changed his holiday plans. He joined us in Cairo, went to church with us, came back to a church in London called HTB, did an alpha course, met with Jesus, left his pucker job in merchant banking in the city, went back to his native South Africa, and he started out a charity which has literally impacted tens of thousands of AIDS orphans, and the charity is called Starfish. Now, some of you know the Starfish story. There's been a storm, and, uh, you know, loads of starfish, hundreds, thousands of starfish have been washed up onto the shore, and a starfish out of water is going to die. And you've got this little boy in his youthful zeal, and he's wandering around one by one, he's picking them up, and he's wanging them back in. But there's shed loads of them. So he's not really making much of an impression, not much of a dent on the thousands. And that's exactly what some cynical bloke comes up to me and says, listen, little boy, give up. You're wasting your time. What's the, what's the point? What difference can you make? And that little boy listened respectfully, and then he bent over and he picked another one up. 
And he said, well, it made a difference to that one, didn't it? And that's so simple. But it's so powerful. And Bongani, that boy in the middle, who is now dead, he was a starfish. He buried his own mummy and daddy from AIDS. He'd inherited the AIDS virus. And uh, I was down there preaching, and Anthony said, hey, you've got to meet this little boy. And uh, he should already be dead, but his dream is to see the sea before he dies. That's his, that was his dream. And once we told him he was going to get his dream, his body rallied. And we drove six hours down from Johannesburg to Durban. That's Durban Beach there. And, you know, we had three days with him. He wasn't much fun to be with because his, his system was imploding. He was dying. But when he saw the sea, his eyes lit up. And we put on his swimming togs and we paddled into the water. And then this great big crashing wave came and he's bricking himself. So we got back out again. But we'd given him his dream. And then we were driving back to Johannesburg, and it was cold. It was nighttime. It was in the back of the truck, and, and I was in the back seat. He was sat there, and it was so cold that he, he actually snuggled up. He snuggled up into the crook of my neck, and I, and I listened to this snotty-nosed, husky-lunged little boy who was dying. And Anthony had flummoxed me with a question, what's God's purpose in Bongani's life? And he's dead now, as I said. But if you, if if we, if you get it this morning, what life is about, what difference can you make? And, you know, we're not 800 people in this room right now, 1,000, whatever. We're not. We are one by one by one. And that's how God works. He knows each one of us by name. And he loves us. And he says, what are you going to do with your life? Are you just going to play it safe? Or are you going to be the one who... The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And it can be you. And it doesn't just have to be a few of us. That's the potential this morning. If we are up for it, we're in. And then what do we do? You know, as, as artists, in, in, I don't know, what do, you, what, what do you want to do with your life? You know, I was, I was good at sport. I can use sport for him. Some of you are good at music. Some of you are sort of techie geeks. You know, you know some of you want to be doctors and, and, and lawyers. And you, what, I don't know what. God's made you the way he's made you. And what he wants from you is that prayer that took me to Brunei, I'm in. I will do anything. I will go anywhere. And then in whatever sphere, we just spend our whole lives just going, come on. And we just one by one by one, we change the world. That is something worth living and dying for. And I, I've totally faced death. I've looked death in the eye. And Paul writes in uh, Philippians 1, chapter 21, verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It's a complete win-win. To, to live is Christ for Jesus, but to die, it's even better. I'm going to be with him forever. Now, I, I expect to be around next year. Hopefully, we'll get to see you again. But if you heard that I got bumped off, I mean, a few people would be sad. Obviously, it would be not great for my wife and, and kids. But this is a message worth living and dying for. It genuinely is. And no one ever achieved anything of any real significance 
without counting the cost and be willing to lay it down. And why do I like working with your age groups? Because you haven't yet just become cynical and given up on believing that you can change the world. So Bongani, in recounting his story from the grave, may he speak to us in the right way to see, what are you going to do with your life? Come on, bring it on. And then one, one, by, one by one by one, we change the world. Next one. Now that girl in my arms there, she had AIDS. Her whole family died of AIDS, and she's been healed of AIDS. And I don't get that. That fries my brain. And sometimes stuff's going to happen in our lives that we've just got to say, you know, I've got a peewee brain this size. He made the whole universe, and I don't get it. The Bible talks about us, you know, seeing through a glass darkly. Then we will see face to face. And uh, so that's a question I'm going to ask our God when I get to meet with him. Well, why? Why not my neighbor? Why not my colleague? But that girl knows that she's been rescued for a reason. That boy in my arms there, he's, he's eight years old there. He's the size of a three-year-old because when he was three, he watched his mummy and daddy get hacked to death. And the killers forced him to do some sick stuff with his dad's body. And he was found on a rubbish dump. He'd been eating mud for a year. And they had to cut the stones out of his gums. Now, the, I haven't told you the full extent of the story because it is so gruesome. But that's pretty gruesome already, isn't it? Now, the beauty about little John's story is that age eight years old, you know, Jesus says some challenging stuff. He says, love your enemies. He says, bless those who persecute. He says, if you want to be forgiven, you must forgive. If you won't forgive, you won't be forgiven. And so little John, in his simple childlike faith, he's eight years old, although he stopped growing, literally stopped growing when he was three. So that's why the trauma, the sh- whatever happened in his body, he stopped growing. He's the size of three-year-old. He's eight years old. Age eight, he says, all right, Jesus, you told me to forgive. I'll forgive those sickos. And he forgave them. Do you know what happened when he forgave them? He started growing again, Literally. Physically, he didn't do a cartoonish, you know, like that, but he's just started growing again. Physically, literally as well, spiritually, emotionally. Now, in the house, you know, I'm sure there's some heavy stuff that's happened in our life. And you can choose to stuff it down and not deal with it, or you can bring it to Jesus. And and Jesus can bring healing. And, you know, to forgive some of the stuff, someone who's bullied you, someone who's done horrible stuff to you, someone, you know, we've been hurt, we've got hurts, we carry, pick up some baggage, we take some knocks, don't we, through life. And, and sometimes I think it, it is absolutely supernatural. There's no way I forgive those people that did that to me. There's a lovely verse in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, says, God pours out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. And so that enables us to overcome uh, that next girl in that picture, she, she, she arrived at that orphanage. She'd never taken the clothes off her back. You know, the problem with these stories is that you could, you could, if you got my heart wrong, you could feel guilty. And listen, listen loud and clear to this. I am not into giving ever a guilt trip. What I am into giving is a gratitude trip. Can you see the difference? Like religion is often used to, uh, to, to heap guilt on us. And that is, that is certainly not the heart spirit of Jesus. But a gratitude trip is very empowering. So this guy tries to kill me. He comes to my house. He's got a grenade. He wants to blow me out. He's written me a letter saying he's going to cut out my eyes. Now, was that a fun experience? No. Ridiculous to say that was a fun experience. But I can literally say that was one of the best experiences of my life. Why? Because for the first time in my life, I said, thank you, Lord, for these pithy little things. Thank you for the gift of eyesight. And it is a gift, isn't it? Maybe, maybe this morning it will be the first time in your life that you've ever 
said, thank you that you can see. But what it made me realize, and I've written a book uh, which, talks, which is on a verse in Romans 12 that says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to, to be fully in, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, to be fully surrendered. And it is, therefore, I urge you, brothers, this is in view of God's mercy. And the Greek word for mercy there is plural, it's mercies. Now, this is why it was such a powerful experience in my life, because I suddenly thought, you know, I'm all about my rights. I'm from an entitlement culture. It's all about my rights. So when I don't get what I want, then it's an affront to my divine right to happiness, joy, fulfillment, whatever. Listen, you, me, this could change your life, literally, this next minute. If you choose to see everything in your life as a gift you will enjoy life so much more. Because it is a gift. It's not a right. And that's the screwed upness of our culture here is that we think everything is a right. So when I think of, you know, I go through the, when I'm tempted to self-pity, when I'm tempted to be discouraged, I just go through the, the gifts of God in my life. I can see. And I've got a body that works. What a gift. And I can read and write as I think to, of one of our, on one of our youth camps, a 15-year-old girl, she stood up and she confessed to sleeping with a bloke to get three quid for her school fees. I think God wants us to get angry. That's sick and wrong, isn't it? But she slept with that guy to get three quid because otherwise she'd still be illiterate in first grade. So I think all of you girls would have done that and I wouldn't judge you for it. I mean, it's hard, isn't it? Life is messy. But there's no room to judge. And uh, we've got about 10 of those things in our houses that we turn and out comes clean, life-giving water. What a gift! As those pygmies were dying all the time through, through drinking dirty water. And we've got freedom in this nation to tell people about Jesus as, you know, 250 million Christians in the world don't have that freedom. They get kicked out of their jobs, lose their family, imprisonment, torture, death. That's happening right now. Am I going to use that freedom or am I going to bottle it up for myself? And we've got the NHS. I think of my pastor's 18-year-old brother who died in his arms because he didn't have three quid for the medicine across the counter. I've had that disease umpteen times, but I've got three quid, so I'm still alive to tell the tale. I think God wants us to get angry. That's sick and wrong. And we got the NHS and we moan and we expect doctors to do everything for us. And, you know, next time, if, if, you're, if you're moaning about your treatment by a doctor, which is free, which is amazing, then next time, I, just, I want you to picture me standing next to you and smacking you in the face. Let's be grateful. Let's be grateful. And in view of God's mercies, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. There's so much potential here this morning. And I know that some of you in about 10 years' time are going to hook up and say, yes, I'm still in the game. But you know what? You have to be so intentional about this decision, this decision, which means focused and calculating the cost, because I'm not giving you a soft sell. It's not going to be easy. You already know it if you've tried standing for Jesus at school. It's not easy, is it? We're isolated. We're on our own. Lots of people find it ridiculous. And, and, uh, but I've got my story. And you'll have your story. And as you journey with him, he'll take you on and on, and he'll use you to make a difference. And whereas everyone else is defining themselves on having a boyfriend or a girlfriend and how far they get to go and what they've done, and, and you can just choose to march the beat of a completely different drum, and it is actually very attractive because it's counter-cultural. And Jesus doesn't say withdraw from the culture. He says completely engage, but model something different. And that's what the eyes of the Lord are looking out for. So I want you to remember, I've said it a lot of times because I want to, it to be embedded into you. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. And I'm hoping as I look out of you this morning that it's you 
that the eyes of the Lord are ranging throughout the earth to strengthen because your heart is fully committed to him. I've got some more. Do you want to stand up? Do stand up. All right, now listen, we're going to pray. I've got a few more pictures, but I'd rather us just to close now. And uh, you've been sat for a long time, so have a quick stretch. Lift your hands in the air. Try to touch the ceiling. Right, okay. Okay, attention back to me, please. Why don't, you, um, why don't you shut your eyes? Let's avoid the distraction. Please stop talking. This is the most important part of our time together now because this is the time where I'm just going to say, and you know, you get loads of chances to respond in prayer throughout the week, so I'm not going to make any song and dance about it, but that verse is, is you know, it's two, two Chronicles. is a weird random book in the Old Testament. We hardly ever read it. I'd read through it, and I'd missed that verse dozens of times, and it's so beautiful. And I never want you to forget it now. 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. And if you want to be fully committed, as the eyes of the Lord range throughout this tent, this shed, longing to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed. If you want to be fully committed, just put your hand right up boldly right now. Boom! I am in. I pray this once a week, this prayer. So I've, I've given you the non-soft cell, so don't do it unless you mean it. But Lord God, you see us right now. I thank you for the integrity of those that kept their hands down. I simply pray for them that, Lord, they would, they would sooner rather than later be all in because it's the best place to be. And, Lord, what an exciting moment for us together. But as individuals, likewise, before your throne of grace, say, I am in. I don't want to play it safe. Now, I know life is messy and I'm going to take some knocks along the way, but I will do anything. I will go anywhere. And praise you, Lord, that you are a personal God who wants relationship with your people, who reached down into the pit of my life and picked me up and cleaned me off and says, I am beautiful, made in your image of infinite worth. And so I want to give my life to wanging back in a whole bunch of starfish, whatever that looks like, using what you've put in me, you the giver of all good gifts. Lord, forgive me for where I've been ungrateful. And I'm choosing a life of gratitude today. Thank you for all you give me, and I lay it down for you. And Lord, I say this, this morning, I am fully in for the glory of the risen King Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.